I'm coming down by you. How are you doing today? All right, guys, it is good to see you today, and uh, especially those of you who uh, apparently did like Thanksgiving McHenry side as opposed to being on the road. Hope it was a great holiday for you, and I got good news for you. The uh, snowstorm, starting. There it is. So, uh, yeah, Christmas is uh, pushing the margin. It's on the horizon. Look, all these, the, these past weeks of November, we have been looking at something called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest, continuous, unbroken speech, teaching, whatever you want to call it, of Jesus that you will find in the Bible. It is his epic manifesto, and I am not over-exaggerating the language. This is Jesus' call to his disciples of what it means to be his disciples. And woven through the entire thing, you'll see again and again that what Jesus calls his disciples to do is be different. To be different than the patterns of this world, to be different from the way that most people approach life, to be different from the way, be it religious people or irreligious people, approach their thinking of themselves and God. No, he calls them to something very different. He'll call it the narrow road, the small gate, the tree that bears fruit. He'll call it in so many different ways. It is this call for those of us who are trying to take his way seriously to fundamentally be Different. And what we've been doing each week is pulling an aspect out of it. How does Jesus talk about being different when it comes to being like happy, let's say? How does Jesus talk about being different when it comes to this or to that? And what we're going to be doing today is we, we taper off our journey through the Sermon on the Mount is looking at how Jesus calls us to give. How are we supposed to? To give, because you'll find him talk about this everywhere. Now, yesterday, yesterday, it feels like it, Friday was Black Friday, right? The largest in-person retail shopping day of the year. Called Black, not because it's so depressing, though it is to me. Called Black because for many retail establishments, they finally go from being in the red accounting-wise, to in the black for the first time of the year. Huge day. Anyone do the Black Friday shopping? All right. What's wrong with you? All right. Learn from the rest of the people here. So no way am I getting up that early. But you did it. It's funny. Um, I use Google Calendar. I don't know what you use. Black Friday is actually coming up on my calendar app as a holiday now. It's like Thanksgiving pops up on Thursday, and then it's like, what's this one on Friday? Oh, Really? We're making this a holiday now. It's a big day. Now, tomorrow is Cyber Monday, right? We all know Cyber Monday. It's a more recent development, but it is the biggest online retail shopping day of the year. And the amount of money, oh my gosh, that changes hands on Black Friday and on Cyber Monday, it is, it is exorbitant. So, the nonprofits have been watching this. And they're watching at the pure volume of money that's out there, kind of going, we need to get in on this action too. And so I'm going to share with you another holiday, one that you might not know by name yet, but this is actually a real thing. Who here has heard of Giving Tuesday? 
Yeah, it is actually a thing now, and it is the nonprofit's attempt to take a hold of what's happening on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And the idea is simply this. If we are spending so much on all these things, how do we maybe help channel people to also think about giving to us on Tuesday as well? Because we need a piece of that pie too. So what I've been doing this past week is just collecting the mail I've been getting that revolves around Giving Tuesday. This is just like a a three or four day supply that I have here of requests from charitable organizations far and wide. This is Lutheran Church Charities. It is their 1231 annual appeal. Help us help others. All right, that's that. Um... PLI, Pastoral Leadership Institute. Uh, it's a nonprofit. They try to help pastors become better leaders, building better leaders for the church. Good organization. That's that. Here's uh, Forever Velpo. I'm Valparaiso alumni, and uh, apparently they want to build a new building or something. There's that. LDA, the Lutheran. Diaconal Association. Uh, it's the Center for Diaconal Ministry, which is, you know, deacon, deaconess, you hear that in there? Basically, it's a Lutheran organization that um, tries to help women who, who have callings into, into professional church work investigate what the, de- the deaconess route might look like, like a professional job of mercy and care and things like that. Um, I'm sure they're doing great stuff, and it's probably an uh, endowment or scholarship of some kind to help someone go to school. LWML, Lutheran Women's Missionary League, um, doing great things um, in the name of Christ around the country. There's that. We have the Epilepsy Art Therapy Program. I don't know if that is about buying art for people who have epilepsy or, or helping them through art learn how to deal with epilepsy, but uh, they're collecting as well. Here is the Orphan grain train. Um, What they do is they collect um, money to help bring food to a lot of impoverished places in the world, be it catastrophe, emergency, natural disaster, or maybe just long-term otherwise. This was a, a new one that I got. It is the Southwest Indian Foundation. In the spirit of giving, you can buy things from their catalog, and it goes to help uh, Native Americans who live on reservations, which are impoverished places, in Southwest United States. Now, I'm curious for you, what was your stack? How high has your stack been of requests in the past couple weeks? And the funny thing about this is I didn't really start doing this until later. Like, it it dawned on me, like, just the last few days to start collecting. And it pales in comparison to the amount of emails that I have gotten requesting money for every cause under the sun. I would say my email volume is probably five to one volume to the paper mail volume that I have right here. How about you? Similar in this? Here's the thing. Every single one of these that I just tossed on the ground right here is a great cause. Every single one of them is doing something good. And this, as we all know, is just the tip of the iceberg. And it's funny, with Black Friday leading to Cyber Monday and now Giving Tuesday, everywhere I'm turning, it's money, 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 
money. Give, 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 give. Now, 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 now. Everyone wants a peace. Which makes what Jesus says here so insidious. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You ever have these moments with Jesus where you're just like, really? Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Do you ever want to have fun with a Christian? Find a Christian that you know. Do this. I, I, I dare you to. I, I wish we could have done this in, in anticipation of Thanksgiving. This would have been great at Thanksgiving dinner. Find a Christian and go up to him and say, hey, give me 20 bucks. Jesus says you're supposed to and then quote this passage to them. All right? I thought we could do that in church right now, but that would get weird, right? Turn to your neighbor. What do you actually do with this? I mean, honestly. (laughs) You memorize it. Yeah. And you know why we memorize it? Because if we memorize it, we've done our duty and we don't have to deal with it anymore. I'm spiritual. I know it, right? I mean, we we know that, right? What do you do with this? Do you just like look at it and get all kind of like, kind of, you know, do the whole neck thing, kind of it's just like uncomfortable and then let's like get on with it so I don't have to think about it anymore? Do you you try to practice it? And then if you do, how? Because, you know, I got to tell you, I want to take Jesus' words seriously. I want to actually figure out what this looks like and do it in a way as he intends. But the question comes up, How does this mean that every single mailer, every single appeal, every single email request and infomercial that comes my way, I'm supposed to give to? I mean, they're asking, right? Does that mean I'm supposed to meet that? When our family goes downtown in a couple of weeks to go see the Christmas tree and the bean and and do like the State Street windows and all that kind of stuff, does that mean that I have to give to every single street person that I pass? Does it mean that I have to give to them even if I know it's going to alcohol and drugs? Does it mean I give to them even if it's not being used for something that insidious, but even if I just know it's not making any kind of lasting difference? I remember when I was in India last year, where the poverty is, 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 is exorbitant. And there with a mission agency trying to help people out of poverty, but they specifically told us, do not give to the street kids when they ask you. Because if you give to one, they will never leave you alone. And let me just tell you, there's 1.2 people, 1.2 billion people in India right now. That is a lot to give. Of course, I had to try it because I'm not going to do what they tell me to do. And they were right. For 30 minutes, flocks of kids like some Pied Piper, you know, leading the, just following me, looking for the handout, and the money wasn't even going to them. It was going to their handlers. Rackets, the rings that they set up on the streets. People pimping the kids out, not for sex, but for handouts. 
does that mean I need to give to them as well? Or how about this? How about that relative of yours who for the life of her can't get her financial life in order? And every holiday and every get-together you have, she always has the latest get-rich-quick scheme or investment opportunity for you. Do I have to give to her? Parents, what about your kids? Does following Jesus mean you have to give to your kids every time they ask you? Kids, what's the answer to that? Oh, you, Yes, you've heard it, of course, right? Do you see how what seems straightforward isn't actually straightforward? And the struggle I have with so much of what Jesus takes is not understanding the words with the page, but putting it into practice. How do I get at the sense of what he's saying is someone who wants to take it Seriously. Now, N.T. Wright tells a story of a dad who's going to be going away on this business trip for four or five days. And the night before he's going to leave, he gathers his family together. And he pulls his oldest son forward, who happens to be nine. And he goes, now, when I'm gone, I want you to do what I do when I'm around the house. So I want you to kind of take my place and fill my shoes, and I want you to do what I do when I'm here during this time that I'm gone. And of course, in the dad's mind, it means things like taking out the garbage and helping mom with the dishes and keeping the place in order and making sure the doors are locked at night. He leaves on the trip, and he comes back five days later. His wife meets him at the airport. She says, you know, it was the strangest thing. As soon as you left, he started drinking coffee, reading the newspaper, wearing a tie to school, and asked if he could start sleeping in bed with me at night. Sometimes do you wonder, do we take Jesus too literally? I want to demo this for you and maybe explain what I mean. And we are going to do this by taking a simple, single, four-letter word and exegeting what it means. How do we interpret that? Now, it's only one word. That word is only one syllable, only four letters long. And everyone who is four years old has learned this word, right? We know what it means. It seems straightforward, doesn't it? But is it? See, I'm convinced that if Jesus were to have planted that sign, the literalists among us would come to that sign, stop, and then stay there and not go forward until it tells us to. Because that's what it says to do. Doesn't it? I'm even more convinced, though, that the vast majority of people would just try to figure out what it means by watching what everyone else around them does. And they'd realize quickly that most people kind of slow and roll. 
And so they'd come to the conclusion that it's probably just a suggestion or maybe a good idea when it fits and blow the sign too. I could see the non-English speaker coming to it and going, okay, what does this mean? And opening up his dictionary and, and, go, and seeing two entries there, one that says to cease movement and another saying it's a place where buses or trains pick people up and drop them off and going there the next day waiting to catch the bus to take him to where he wants to go. What seems straightforward is not always straightforward, is it? And what I think it shows, and what I hope it brings to realization, is that at some fundamental level, all language is shorthand. And so the real trick becomes discerning the intended context and meaning behind what is being spoken by these words. This is true for all communication. And so it's true when Jesus communicates too. And my fear is that sometimes when we come across the words of Jesus, in our desire to take them seriously, we take them so woodenly that we end up distorting the very intention and meaning of what Jesus is getting at, leading us to do things that are contrary to what he wanted to begin with. And so as we look at this passage where Jesus says, give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What I want to know is that what Jesus is intending by that passage. Now, it's fascinating, that, that line. It's actually one of four examples Jesus will use. That Jesus will use in the context of talking about how we're to interact with people in times and places where there's a desire for justice, vindication, or revenge. Let's take a look at it. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you, take your tunic, let them, let them have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And here it is, give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's interesting to me that the passage really isn't so much about charity as much as it's about how to interact with people when they wrong you. And yet at the same time, I think there's ideas underpinning what Jesus has to say here that influence how we think about giving. And at some level, it seems that what Jesus is doing is telling his disciples not to give people what they deserve, but instead 
to practice reckless generosity. Now, what Jesus is saying is hyperbole, to be sure. It's, he's, he's overstating something to make a point, just like when he talks about gouging out eyes and cutting off hands. But guys, hear this. It doesn't mean he isn't serious. And when he says it, he still wants to be taken seriously. He wants us to adopt a position of giving rather than withholding. An attitude that is free and generous as opposed to one that is defensive and protectionistic. He invites his disciples that if they are going to err, they are better erring on the side of being taken advantage of and misuse than to err on the side of being tight-fisted and protectionistic to what is mine for me. It's like he's challenging our instincts, isn't it? All the instincts that we normally have to pull back, to defend, to rationalize or excuse or give reason when someone asks of us. No, he invites us into something bigger than ourselves, something out there something broader and deeper that's tuned towards other people. He invites us to give, to give of ourselves like he did. And while we may never have to give our lives for the sins of the world, nonetheless to adopt a posture where we are willing to give of ourselves even when there's nothing in return. Someone was sharing with me after the 9 o'clock this story by Tony Campolo, who would try to live, this, this Christian man who would try to live these words so seriously. And, and of course, the excuse comes up, well, well, what do you do? Because if one person asks you, they'll keep asking you, and then before you know it, your wallet is empty. What do you do? And he just sim- simply answered this. So? Jesus invites us to those levels of generosity. I think of this buddy of mine down at the seminary where people on the street would ask big. It wasn't spare a buck, spare a five. It was spare a 50, spare a 100, spare a plane ticket, spare a car repair. And there's this one guy who came up to him. I remember this, this story that he told. He crafted it well. He needed to get a ticket. He needed to get over to the next state because his son died and he couldn't afford a ticket and he had to be there for a funeral. And all my friend had on him was a hundred. He pulls out his wallet and he gives it to him. Thank you, thank you, praise Jesus. God bless you, God loves you. You're such a Christian man. He gave it all. The next week, my buddy was in the same neighborhood and the guy was there again and didn't recognize him and asked him with the same story again. I saw you last week. And he said, the guy went white. And he was a black man. (laughs) And he bolted the other way. And what I remember is not so much the story as the conversation in the aftermath. He was telling us about it and 
And someone else is just like, aren't you ticked? Words were made PG for the public. No. No. I did what Jesus told me to do. I'll leave the rest to him. It's that kind of reckless generosity that Jesus is inviting us to. Because I'll tell you this, to posture yourself that way is to invite misuse. It's to invite being taken advantage of. But to posture yourself the other way is to invite hard-heartedness and to flirt with damnation. So how do you actually give? How do you take this and put it into practice? Here's a passage we like to use here at FOF. It's not a Bible passage, a summary statement that we've created in-house that tries to encapsulate the spirit of giving. Let me share it with you. It says, we believe that all we are and all that we own ultimately comes from God. And a life of faith means giving back to him. Discipleship means giving the first of what we receive in proportion to what God has given us. It is about embarking on a way of life where we continually become more generous and more sacrificial with our time and money towards our church, our families, and the needs of others in this world. We find this a challenge. We find this a joy. For those of you who are Christian, the to whom often starts here. Giving to the community that you connect yourself with. Giving to your church. So if you remember here, it means a large part of what you give, being part of what you're investing in here and giving yourself to here in the movement of God in a particular place that you're identifying with. And it means if you're a Christian but a member somewhere else, it means giving there, pouring yourself into that body that you've chosen to identify with and become a part of. But it doesn't stop there because I've met so many people who can be so generous to an institution and yet so closed-fisted when it comes to their family. They write big, extravagant checks and get plaques on walls and are absolutely miserly when it comes to their spouse and their kids. And it's like I can almost hear Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, like if he was to address that situation, coming out something like this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't give to your wife and your kids? Don't even the pagans do that? Don't even the tax collectors and the prostitutes do that? Aren't you called to so much more than they And simultaneously, I found so many people who can be so generous to the institutions that they've identified with and so generous with their families, they'd be completely blind to the needs of others in this world. Because it's easy to be interned, isn't it? 
my organization, my church, my family, and turn a blind eye to the world that God has placed you and your church and your family in. And so what I found is that I just practically can't give to all. Unless you do one of these. You take the pile, right? You take the pile, it comes in the mail, and you hear those words of Jesus echoing in your head, and you go to the mailbox even with a little sense of dread, right? Oh, I hope there's not a request today because I know I'm called to give. And so you write the check for $10 to assuage your guilt and send the organization on its way without any real investment. Can I suggest another way instead? Research what comes your way. Pick a couple of causes and vet them. Vet them hard. Read up on them. See their practices. Ask the hard questions. See what they do because in the process, God will start creating an investment quotient in you. Lighting up within you passions you may not have known were there or giving tangible expressions to passions that are Bringing you beyond just the giving to check off Jesus' to-do list and bringing you into a position of radically helping others instead. And after you choose the to whom's, let me just share with you in the spirit of what we've been doing this year some very practical ways of how to do it. And it starts here. Just start. Stop making excuses. Stop coming up with 20 reasons why you can't. Stop pushing it off till tomorrow. Just start. Just do it. And do it like this. Every time you get something, make it regular. Every paycheck that you get, give something from it. Every gift you get from grandma in the mail, give something from it. Every $5 bill you find on the street, give from it. It doesn't have to be big. Get yourself into the practice of giving from every single thing you receive. Kids, I know the cry, I don't have any money. Yeah, you do. You get money. You do. Start the practice now. I love Rockefeller's famous line. The Bill Gates, the Jeff Bezos, the belt-type billionaire of a century ago who said, I would never have tithed off the first million I made if I didn't learn to tithe from the first dollar fifty. God's calling you now. Get in the game and start doing it every single time you get it. And when you do, make it the first thing you do. Because I promise you, for that most of you, it won't be there if you save it to the end. Restaurants have a funny way of draining my wallet. How about yours? Starbucks has a funny way of draining my wallet. How about yours? My gas tank has a funny way of draining my wallet. How about yours? My kids' sports fees, which are ubiquitous, have a funny way of draining my wallet. How about yours? 
There's always something out there asking for the buck. No, make a commitment. The first thing I do, and test God in this. He invites you to. Test him in this. Make it the first thing you give, the first thing you do, and see if he doesn't open the floodgates of heaven and provide for you in your time of need. How much? Well, what I'd suggest is pick a percent. Now, I personally like the biblical model of giving 10%. But I know that as soon as I say that, some of you have started to get a rash, and you've automatically already tuned me out going, there is just no possible way, and you've shut down the conversation already. Okay. Don't start there. Start at five. Or three. Or two. Or one. The thing is, make it proportionate. Make it proportionate to what God is giving you. Give a proportion of it back in a meaningful way to the things that God is calling us to this world as well. And as God continues to bless you, to give you opportunity, as you continue to watch debt maybe reduce in your life, certain expenses fade away, build on it. Don't lock in at one place for life. Over time, Build it higher because what I found is that I think all of us get very comfortable with the status quo. And it's so true with giving. We lock in at a certain amount and we've learned how to do life around it and have failed to allow God to continue to challenge us to leaps of faith in greater expressions of generosity and sacrifice and love for others in this world. And for those of you who are the, getting, the giving veterans, for those of you who have embraced the tithe and kind of go, I made it, don't stop there. Because God's not done with you either. The call to greater leaps of faith are not just to those who are beginning. More so, I find it's to those of us who have been following, where God is inviting us to greater expressions more and more. And can I just say, as you do, don't announce it in the churches and on the street corners as the hypocrites do who love to be seen by men who love to have their names in the flyers and sent out with the foundations and on the sides of walls. No, don't be like them. But when you give, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And maybe above all, as you give, Hear what else Jesus has to say in that epic manifesto as well. Do not worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. 
which we really don't worry about in those ways, do we? But maybe if I phrased it like this, do not worry about the mortgage bill, the electric bill, the gas tank, because your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But as Jesus would put it, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things will be given to you as well. As I think about what Jesus says about giving in this epic manifesto that we call the Sermon on the Mount, I'm just kind of left at the end of the day with this too. How does he say it? Do not store up for yourself treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's how Jesus calls his disciples to give. I have found that giving is one of the greatest expressions of actually showing love to God. I found that giving can be one of the greatest expressions of faith in trusting God. And I have found that giving is one of the greatest ways to bless the people that God calls us to love, whether we know them by name or not, and our families, our churches, our communities, and this world around us. I just want to encourage you to try it. So I'm going to invite the man to come back forward. And as they get ready to lead us in this closing worship set, this is actually a chance for us to give in a different way. See, God's given us so much, hasn't he? And when you look at the amount God has given, it's, it's reasonable to think that he could demand everything from us. But he doesn't. He just invites us to freely express and freely give. And that's what worship is. It's just acknowledging what God has given us and coming to terms with it and hopefully being staggered by it and, and even in the sense of awe by just the, the, the immensity of his abundance and going, Lord, I just want to let you know. Thank you that I'm grateful. I want to remember and realize that you have not forgotten me, but that you bless me, that you love me like a child. And worship becomes a way that we get to say thank you, that we get to say I love you, that we get to give something back. Even if it's not tangible, we can say, here's my voice, here's my will, here's my heart. And so as we sing this song, 
It's so easy to just kind of like get caught up in a melody and say words on a screen. No, I, I want you to do something more today. Give back to God in this final time of worship together today. So let's rise.